Good morning, Centerway. Er, good afternoon. I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> My name is Eric, and we are just so grateful uh, to be gathering today. Uh, we are so grateful to Willowbrook for opening their doors to us and just allowing us to uh, celebrate Jesus uh, as a community together. We want to welcome everyone who is in the room today and all of you that are joining us online or watching or listening to this later on in the week. Now, some of you know that last week we celebrated our three-year anniversary as a church, and so this is an incredible season uh, that Centerway finds themselves in. Uh, and also, this week is the start of our weekly in-person gatherings, and we could not be more excited. I'm going to talk through some info for all of us here today, but for those of you that are online with us, a few of these items may not apply, uh, but many of the things that I mentioned will be uh, available to you and happen through our website. First of all, for any guests that may be with us today, possibly for the first time, we are meeting you face-to-face -face in person. We are so glad that you're here. There are many people that have connected with Centerway uh, during the nearly 80 weeks that we were online. <laughs> uh, I'm going to run through some things to help you, our guests, and hopefully everybody else, uh, feel at home today. Uh, if you feel comfortable sharing your information, uh, we would love to get that from you, not so that we can pander you uh, or try to sell you anything, but we want to be available to you uh, in any time of need that you may have. Uh, if you want to update your info or you want to give it to us for the very first time, there are two ways to do that. Uh, first of which is an info card, which are on your seats. You can find those there. They're not there. What are those, those cards or something different? <laughs> uh, they're in the back. You, you're not sitting on an info card. I promise you that. <laughs> uh, there are in the back. And uh, there's also availability electronically to give us your information through the Uversion app. The instructions should be up on the screen behind me. Uh, the app is also useful uh, for following along during our gathering, taking notes, and even giving online. Now, speaking of giving, you can also give through our website or via the offering box in the back if you would like to give that way. Uh, there are other ways to connect with Centerway throughout the week. We have wallpapers that are available uh, for you, uh, social media uh, sites to uh, connect with us, the Spotify, uh, Spotify playlist, and a Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotional uh, that you can get directly into your inbox. If you have questions about Centerway, feedback for us, ideas, or you even need prayer, you can connect with us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That's our email address. And we also want to welcome any seventh graders in the room. Anybody a seventh grader? Woohoo! Zeke is not a seventh grader, but he's raising his hand back there. <laughs> uh, we're glad for you today. Today is moving day for Centerway kids, uh, which means that seventh graders are becoming Centerway students and joining the adults in the gathering space today. Uh, this is your church. You're not graduating into Centerway. This is your church, and uh, we're excited to see how you're going to grow and serve in, in uh, this season here. Uh, as far as next steps go, jeepers three o'clock and I can't talk all of a sudden. I need some more coffee. At the end of the message, Claude is going to be talking through specific next steps uh, related to the message today, but you can always keep moving forward spiritually. Uh, you can be spiritually coached. There's opportunities to serve, opportunities to get water baptized, becoming a centerway steward. Also on the next steps page of our website is where you can sign up for circles, which begin this week. We're really, really excited about that. Um, Sign up on our website for that and for more information. We also want to remind you that student retreat is coming up in October and that next week is the sign-up deadline for that. Uh, so info is on the calendar page of our website so you can check all the information out. 
Man, we say it all the time. This is a especially pertinent Sunday to say we get to do this, and we are excited to be gathering today. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of our time together. Alicia will be reading our scripture today. Claude is going to be communicating from the Bible. Then we're going to respond to the word through song. Can we bow our heads and hearts together and just pray for God's blessing on our time? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for everything that we're enduring today, Lord God. Lord, the joys, the struggle, the, the hope and the heartache, whatever we bring into this, this space with you today, God, we offer it to you and ask that you would do in us a work that only you can do today, God. I pray for our ears to be open to what you want to speak to us, our eyes to be open for what you want to show us, and God, may our hearts be receptive to the way that you want to move in us and through us for your glory and honor. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon. I'm Alicia McWatters. I'll be reading the scripture for us today. Uh, you can follow along on the screen or in uh, your scripture journals. There's a couple in the back um, if you don't have one. And uh, that's in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. It says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say, and, and to, say to him, one after another, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better if that man had not been born. And as they were eating, he took the bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks... He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, Alicia. So great to be with you this morning. And... Uh, uh, this afternoon. That's so funny. I did the same thing. <clears throat> Continuing in our series through the book of Mark, if you uh, were with us last week, uh, we just concluded our Summer in Isaiah series, and we're picking back up in the book of Mark, and we will be concluding it at the end of this series, which is entitled Within Walking Distance, and uh, today's uh, talk is specifically entitled Vision, Within Walking Distance, Vision. And uh, you just read the pericope or the section of scripture that we're going to be kind of walking through today. Uh, but before I get to that, um, whenever I talk about the book of Mark, I actually think about a kid named Mark. Um, I met him when I was uh, working. I was working as a coach in the summer um, soccer 
It was a summer soccer training. And it was like this day camp of sorts. And this kid, uh, Mark, had never played soccer before. And he was running along and he got kicked uh, right behind the shin guard. So right on the outside part of your shin, just where the shin guard kind of stops protecting your leg. And if you've played soccer for any amount of time, you or if you've watched soccer for any amount of time, you see people roll around and they're like, oh, they're just diving. They're just pretending. But if you've been kicked in the side of the leg, there's like a moment where you wonder, has it all come to an end? Is my leg now shattered? And so this kid got kicked right in the side of his leg. He fell to the ground, starts writhing around, and he's just screaming uncontrollably. And my first thought is, my gosh, this kid legit broke his leg. Like, I'm gonna have to talk to one of his parents to talk about the fact, hey, sorry, you know, Mark came to our day camp. We snapped his leg like a twig. So all these things are kind of running through my mind. I go over and I'm like, stay calm, stay calm. Let me see it, let me see it. And I'm like, what happened? And he goes, hi, hi, I got kicked. And he's like, kind of like gasping for air. He's hyperventilating. And so I kind of pull his sock down. I look and I could just see like, a red mark there. And I'm like, can you move your foot? Move your foot. And he's like rolling around and screaming. I'm like, can you move your foot? He's like, I can't, I can't. I'm like, wait, you really can't or not? And so I'm like moving his foot and he's not reacting. And so I like push on my hand. And so he kind of pushes at it. And he's like, am I okay? I'm like, yeah, you're fine. You're moving your leg. He's like, no, just tell me. I'm like, tell you what? He's like, I'm never going to walk again, am I? I remember it like it was yesterday. I could picture the kid's face. He just looked at me dead serious. I'm never going to walk again, am I? Like, yeah, like you're probably going to walk off this field. What are you talking about? But he's so captured in the moment. His you know, emotions heightened. He's in pain. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to be in a moment, caught up in a moment, and we just, we think the worst. We can't see past this moment right now. So the question I want to ask us all before we continue into the text is this. Why is it hard to see past the here and now? Why is it hard to see past the here and now? And now, I know that the answer to the question may seem rather simple. It's hard to see past the here and now because we are living in the here and now, obviously. So we're having to face it. It's like right in our face, we're dealing with it. And so we have to to come to grips with the here and now. So it's hard to see past it, right? It's kind of common sense. As much as I agree with kind of the common sense reality of that response, I also want to submit to you that the reason that it's hard to see past it is because we're consumed by the personal implications of the here and now. It's in our face, yes, but we can't see past it because we're thinking about how it affects us. We're going into the implications, into the the, the way that it actually impacts us personally, the struggles, the inconveniences, the offenses, but also the moments of opportunity, right? The possibilities. You see, it's not just the bad stuff that captures us. The problem is our preoccupation with ourselves. (laughs) Think about that for a second. (laughs) Welcome to Centerway, you're selfish. (laughs) I'm not trying to, to be a bummer or anything like that. I'm telling you it's a reality of the human condition. We have a preoccupation with ourselves. We think about ourselves a lot. We think about how things affect us, why this situation matters because of its implications on our lives, what the possibilities are because of how it has affected us, good or bad. So whether you're Christian or not, and I realize that we have all different types of people in the room and even watching online. And so whether you're a Christian or not, this is a human condition. We have a preoccupation with ourselves. I'll give you an example. I uh, was in a, a truck with a friend. Uh, in fact, it wasn't his truck. We had borrowed a truck. So we had some, something to do, kind of like a, a task to do. And it was somewhat urgent. And um, at the time, I lived in the, the Syracuse area. And there were, they had 
broke down a, a bridge. They had kind of cut it out and they were expanding what was uh, then called, I don't even know if it's called it now, but the, the Belgian bridge. So it was, they were widening Route 31. And so if you're familiar with that at all or if you were around during that time and or you're familiar with that area, you know what I'm about to explain. It just started to go down into this bottleneck of crazy traffic. And so we're in a borrowed truck my friend is driving, and we're going down the road. And as we come onto this one part in, in, on 31, the road goes from two lanes down to one because of construction. So regardless of whether or not you know the area I'm talking about, you've been a part of a merging situation. And so here's the situation, and there's kind of rules that fall into place. If you've been driving for any amount of time or if you've been in a car while other people are driving, you see that it's kind of like every other just sort of functions that way. It feels so right when you're dropping somebody off at school and all of a sudden everybody just goes every other. And then there's the one person that you're like, seriously, seriously? Like you're gonna get there 10 feet in front of me enough to cut me off? And so that's exactly what happens. We're about ready to take our turn and this car speeds up and gets in front of us. He's like, are you kidding me? He just cut me off. I'm like, yeah, I know. And so he beeps his horn and he's like throwing his hands in the air and I'm like, all right, simmer down. You know, the only thing that could make this worse is all of a sudden, you know, we get into a, a fight over something as ridiculous as this. And uh, so this little old lady gets out with a switchblade. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I just thought I'd make sure you were listening. So in either case, we're, we just continue on and he's kind of throwing his hands in the air and he's so frustrated. He's like, this is ridiculous. Look at this. We're never going to get where we need to go. I'm like, it's fine. It's just traffic. We're moving, you know? And so he's sitting there impatient as ever. And he's like, oh, I have an idea. Like what? <laughs> so before I even know what he's actually doing, the truck that we borrowed is a, has a plow on it. And so there's a plow light on the top of this truck. And so he flips the, the light on and all of a sudden the plow light, you can hear it go like, woo, woo, woo. and he goes, I got an idea. And he goes on the shoulder of the road and just starts driving past everyone with a plow light flashing. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We can't do this. this is, it's illegal. He's like, it doesn't matter. We're in a hurry. I'm like, we're cutting everybody off. He's like, no, we're in a hurry. It makes sense. Now, <laughs> obviously, there's nothing about that that makes sense, especially when we get up to the intersection and we turn right into Home Depot and the light goes off and we just get a parking spot. I can't imagine the number of people that were absolutely furious, but the reason why I tell you the story is because we function in a similar way. When we're in a hurry, it makes sense. It makes sense. We're justified in our situation, but when others kind of violate our rules and they cut us off, then one, how dare they? They're a terrible driver, right? People cut us off, they're a terrible driver. We cut people off, listen, we're in a hurry. You don't understand. And I'm like, you just cut everybody off. He's like, yeah, but like, we're like really in a hurry. I'm thinking, what if the person that cut us off is like a pregnant woman or something? You know, she's about to give birth and you're like, no, we have to get to Home Depot fast, right? It's amazing how we're able just to label other people but we have a perception of our own lives. It sounds absurd, but we all do it on some level. Other people's offenses seem more, more egregious because of their impact on us. How dare they? They're selfish. They're a bad driver. They're so rude. But when we act out, then listen, we're in a hurry. We had a bad day. Like, they don't understand what I'm going through. <laughs> we have a whole mess of reasons as to why we can explain away why we do the things we do. In fact, it ranges everywhere from justifying all the way to the complex, right? We can justify it, and we can also just declare it, listen, it's a complex situation. We need to understand that at the root, we have wickedness within us, that we're selfish, 
That as human beings, we are really preoccupied with ourselves and we can justify situations because we understand our intent or at least we can explain our intent. Before we can ever really grasp the idea of grace, we have to realize how selfish and wicked we actually are. You see, if we're justified, if we're without wrong, if we're actually without sin, which is what we kind of are implying when we sort of try to justify our actions, then others, well, they're more wicked than we are. And in those moments, then obviously, if that's the case, we can withhold forgiveness. We can withhold grace because we're in a position of superiority. In fact, we can even judge others. You see the problem? It's not actually that complex at all. It's a human issue that's running rampant in our culture. You see, when we withhold forgiveness and grace, we're refusing to see the forgiveness and grace that we walk in. Let me think about that for a second. When we withhold forgiveness from others, when we withhold grace that ought to be extended to others, what we're doing in that moment is we're refusing to see the forgiveness and the grace that we walk in if we proclaim to be a Christ follower. So let's see how the text kind of wrestles with this today. And before we jump too far into the text, we have to understand sort of the underlying reality of what's taking place. There's this thing called Passover that is in the midst of beginning. And if you are not familiar, if you have not spent a lot of time in church, I want to explain quickly uh, what Passover is. And I'm going to admittedly uh, do a general overview so that you can understand the context of where we find ourselves in scripture today. Um, the Israelites were, were in slavery to the Egyptians. And they go through a series of plagues where uh, Moses has gone to Pharaoh and has said, listen, you need to let the Israelites go. You need to set the slaves free. Let God's people go. And the Pharaoh says he will, and then he doesn't. And a plague comes, and he says he will, and he doesn't. And a plague comes, and all of these things happen. And he's reaping the consequences of his decisions. And finally, enough has been enough. And God says, listen, there's going to be one final plague. And it's going to be a plague of wrath of justice. And so there's going to be justice that's done because of the sin that's taking place. And so someone will die in every household. The oldest child in every household will die. And so the night before this final plague, Moses instructs the people of, of uh, Israel to go and find a lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, and to sacrifice that lamb. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, we've talked about it in the past, that it was a sacrificial, uh, it was a culture that functioned according to sacrifice, that blood paid the price or the penalty for sins and wrongdoing. And so they have to take a lamb and they have to shed its blood. And that night, what they would do is they would eat the lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and they would put it over the doorposts of their home. And the doorposts of their home being drenched with the, the blood of this lamb would then signify as the angel of death would come that this household is submitted in faith to God. And so as a result, the angel of death would then pass over that home. Okay. And so they would pass over that home. And so what ended up happening is in Egypt, there were screams heard the following morning as they woke and there were people that were lying in bed dead horrifying reality. And this, this begins uh, the freedom of the Israelite people. They, Pharaoh tells them to leave and they go. And from that moment on, every year, they would commemorate Passover. 
And the way that they would do it is with a Passover Seder, where they would sit and they would go through a process of remembering what the Exodus looked like. The Exodus was Israelite leaving Egypt, okay? So I've just given you like the quick cliff notes to what Passover is and what its implications are. And it's important to understand because that's exactly where we find ourselves in the text today. These Jewish people are headed in to participate in Passover. And so they're going to look for a lamb and they're going to prepare for a meal. And so that's what's happening. And when we pick up in verse 18, we actually pick up the disciples with Jesus in the midst of this Passover meal, this Seder meal. And verse 18 says this, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Hmm. One of you. One of you. I'm always intrigued by the way Jesus goes about things. Why is he so ambiguous? You know, listen, one of you is going to betray me. I can't imagine the tension that happens in that room as that bomb is kind of dropped. Why not just say, listen, one of you is going to betray me and it's Judas and I know it. But he doesn't say that. He just says, one of you will betray me. There's two options, really. There's calling Judas out, or the other is to remain silent, to just say, listen, I will be betrayed. He doesn't have to say that the dude's in the room with him, right? So, so why give some of the details, but not all of the details? Why is it that, that Jesus is somewhat ambiguous? Why does Jesus say what he says? Now, the truth is, we don't know for certainty, but I have a thought. I have a thought for you to consider based on what takes place. I think Jesus wants everyone to look into their heart in that moment. I think he wants to create an environment where the disciples all reflect and think, wait, is it me? And the reason why I think that that Jesus wants that to happen is because that's what actually happens. (laughs) What actually happens. And so let's look a little deeper at what's kind of happening here. He says, one of you will what? Betray me. Betray me. The, the Greek for betray that's used here actually means to hand over or to sell. So he's saying, one of you is going to hand, hand me over. You're going to sell me. Get this. Jesus is saying, one of you who serves me, who has walked with me, who has talked with me, that has seen the miracles that have taken place. And there have been, if you've been with us on the journey through Mark for any amount of time, you know the amazing amount of things that have happened at every turn. And Jesus is saying, listen, you've experienced all of that. You've walked with me. You've talked with me. You've experienced my grace and my gentleness and my kindness. But I want to tell you, one of you is going to sell me out. One of you serves me because it's beneficial to you. But you're going to sell me out once following me costs you something. Hmm. It's tough. Let me ask just the Jesus followers in the room a moment. Anybody that proclaims to be a follower of Jesus. Are you following Jesus because of the perceived benefits? Or are you following Jesus to please him no matter the cost? Here's the scary part of the question. The answer is yes. If we're honest about the wickedness of our own heart, if we're honest about how we are so preoccupied by ourselves, the answer is is yes. We follow Jesus because of perceived benefits and because we want to please him. There's a dual tension happening within every one of us. 
And here's the problem. The scary part of the question is that at face value, both extremes look the same. Both extremes look the same. If you walk in, there's 12 disciples reclining with Jesus at a table and they all look the same. Judas looked the same. No one could look at it. I know who it is. It's Judas, right? I mean, if it was that obvious, then they wouldn't have said, is it me? They would have been like, Judas, caught you red-handed, dude. I knew he was going to call it. It's Judas. We all know it. Is it Peter? Seriously, Paul? Paul wasn't there, right? Okay. So in either case, again, just making sure you're listening. So the scary part of the question is that at face value, we all look the same. Followers of Jesus to one extreme or to the next, the only thing that is different is their motive. The only thing that separates the committed Christ follower that wants to please and serve Jesus versus the one that wants to simply benefit from proximity to him is the motive of our hearts. Man, that's, that's unsettling. It's unsettling because I remember the day that I asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life. I remember the day that the truth of the gospel awoke in my heart. And I remember the consequent moments that followed where I started to realize I have a get out of hell free card. And what I need to do is negotiate a way for me to just keep my card. It was such a, it was such a, a weird way of almost manipulating the gospel to say, listen, I'm in this for what's beneficial to me. I just want to avoid hell. That's what I'm here for instead of actually realizing what it looked like to serve and love Jesus, motives. Look at their response. Look at the disciples' response. Now, commentators agree that their response is actually remarkable and reveals that his question actually shook them. Verse 19, the response is this, and they began to be sorrowful, not accusatory, sorrowful, and to say to him, one after another, is it I? Isn't that interesting? That when we come face to face with Jesus, we realize and acknowledge the wickedness of our own heart. And instead of pointing fingers or anything, we just simply look within our own heart and say, I'm capable. Is it me? I could do that. I could be the one that sells you out. Is it me? Just tell me. In fact, the original text actually says, the literal translation is, they said, not me, me, question mark, no, not me, period. And and they just kind of summarize it in this way. That's what commentators say. Commentators say, this question shook them to their core. They're like, not me. Me? Wait, it's not me. Because something's happening within themselves. Jesus is asked a question by saying, one of you will betray me. What he's done is he's caused them to look into the depths and recesses of their own wicked heart. And I want to tell you, we need to get into the practice of looking into the depths of the wickedness of our own heart, or we're just going to play church. We're just going to think that we are somehow following Christ for whatever is beneficial to us, and we'll entirely miss the vision and the mission of what God has for us. They don't point a finger. They look into their own heart. Why? Because if we're honest about our own wickedness, we're all a bit more like Judas than we want to admit. We all have betrayal capacity. Every single one of us, no one's exempt. If you think you're exempt and you bought into a form of religion that I hope and pray the gospel will awaken your heart because we never outpace the reality that we are in desperate need of a savior, that we are sinners saved by grace. You see, it's easy to follow Jesus when things are good. It's easy. 
Like, oh man, your bank account is full and you love your job and you have like 1.2 kids and a, and a white picket fence and 2.1 dogs or whatever the statistics are for the American dream. And you're like, I'm nailing it. Life is good. I love the Lord. Praise Jesus. Went to church at three o'clock. I don't care. I missed a football game for God. <laughs> when things are going well, like, man, it's good. But in the hard and the difficult comes. And you've lived life. I'm looking at faces that have lived life enough to know the hard comes, the difficulties come. Where do you turn in those moments? Where do we turn? Because religion says, I obey, so I'm owed. Listen, God, I obeyed. You, you, you can't do this, not to me. No, 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 I put in my dues. I don't think you've been watching, God. Like, this is not how this transaction works. Because religion is transactional. But the gospel, which is transformational, says Jesus obeyed. So I owe him my obedience. And I'm amazed by his grace. And I'm humbled that in my wickedness, he extends grace and mercy. You see, because we know how broken we are. Listen, the woman from last week that we talked about that broke that, that alabaster jar, she found Jesus beautiful. But Judas found Jesus useful. You see the difference? If you're not careful, you'll mix up the two. Do you find Jesus beautiful or do you find him useful? Honestly, look at your heart. Evaluate. Is there a little bit too much propensity to betray within your heart and mind? Judas wanted what he thought he was entitled to. He wanted stuff and he ultimately wanted his way. He had a plan. It's his way. Jesus is not going about this the right way. He wanted to overthrow the government. He wanted to create a kingdom right here. And here's Jesus talking about grace and mercy. He's way off topic. The woman from last week just wanted more of Jesus. And so she humbled herself. If you want to know if you're gripped by religion or the gospel, here's a way to tell. The religious person is always on a roller coaster. They're always on a roller coaster because they're not truly after God. They're after their ideal. They're after their ideal and the world will always let us down. And so we're on a roller coaster of joy and, and heartache, difficulty and joy, argument and peace. And it's just this constant roller coaster and struggle because we want our ideal. We're preoccupied with ourselves. When we're preoccupied with ourselves, we lack a vision for our life. Everything is about the here and now. What's happening right now? We're consumed by the now. Do you realize what's happening right now? Of course, your worries and your concerns, they're always justified, right? I mean, because after all, it's you. So you're fully informed, you know. Like you understand the situation better than anyone else. But it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be on that religious roller coaster because the gospel person sees Jesus as an end in himself. So obedience is joyful, not circumstantial. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. We're in it to, to increase proximity to Jesus. When you become preoccupied with yourself as a gospel-centered person, because we all do, because none of us are exempt, in those moments, his grace drives you to repentance. You forgive others and you focus on the mission. So listen, 
a vision for your life is within walking distance. It's within walking distance. It doesn't have to be a struggle with the here and now. And here's why. This is why. Because of verses 22 through 24. And as they were eating, he, meaning Jesus, took bread and after blessing it, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. You may not realize it, but this is huge. It's a monumental moment. And, and I, you might say, well, yeah, I realize it's huge. Obviously, it's part of the gospel story. I don't mean that. I mean in context, in that moment, what he is doing is extremely disruptive. I had the opportunity to, uh, to participate. I took a Pentateuch class when I was in Bible college, and we actually participated in a Passover Seder and everything about a Passover meal is prepared in a certain way, and it's scripted. There are certain things that need to be said, and there's certain things that you consume when it's said. All of that, it's very regimented. And the reason why is because, again, it's commemorating something that happened to the Israelites as they were set free from Egypt. And so they're celebrating, they're commemorating the Passover meal the night before. And so Jesus breaks script. He breaks script. He doesn't say what he's supposed to say. And here's the deal. There's a room full of Jewish people that know exactly what's supposed to be said. So what's happening right here is a monumental moment. There are four cups of wine which represent four promises that God made in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And during a Seder, there are those four glasses that are served. One has to do with a rescue from Egypt. The second has to do with a rescue from slavery, freedom from slavery, sorry. And the third is freedom, is redemption by God's power. The fourth and final cup is renewed relationship with God. And those are the four cups that are taken as part of Seder. The third cup comes when the meal is almost completely eaten. That's exactly where we find ourselves in this moment. It's the third cup. And so two cups have already been served. They've already talked about the rescue from Egypt. They've already talked about freedom from slavery. But now Jesus is about to serve the third cup as the food is almost completely eaten. And the presider, who is actually Jesus, would typically use words from Deuteronomy chapter 26. And in that moment, he'd bless the elements. And one of the things that would be typically said is this. This is the bread of our affliction. which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Let's remember their pain and they would break it. The disciples knew that's what should be said, but Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. He says, take, this is my body. Disciples have to be, what? You're doing it wrong. But at the same time, they have to be immediately struck by the implications of what it is that he's actually saying. He is saying, this is the bread of my affliction, my suffering, because Exodus was pointing to me, Jesus. And I, Jesus, am the lamb that will be slain. And because of my blood, you will be free from the slavery of sin. That Exodus and everything that they had been celebrating and commemorating every year since the moment of their birth was pointing to this moment and this savior. 
and had to awaken their heart and minds and confuse them at the same time. It had to be an aha moment for them and honestly, it has to be an aha moment for us because of the person and work of Jesus. God is within walking distance. The gospel sets us free. We don't have to be burdened with the here and now. We can be filled with vision. We can be filled with what it is that God is going to do, what he's at work with, what's going to happen. We don't have to be stuck in the now. We don't have to declare, I'm never going to walk again. (laughs) What? You're going to be fine. Because there's a God in heaven that is orchestrating. He's a sovereign God and he's moving along and he's been weaving the truth of the gospel, the meta-narrative of the gospel all throughout time and history. We say every week that the text requires something of us and this week we have a challenge rather than a question. The challenge is this, to ask Jesus to give you a vision for your year to give you a vision for your year. We're coming off the heels of a difficult year and we're still finding ourselves in some ways right in the midst of that year still, it seems. And in the midst of it, let's not get caught up in what's in our face, what's in the here and now. And I know that there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of different things, serious things, but I want you to consider and challenge you to ask Jesus to give you a vision for your year beyond the now. In fact, I want us to just take a moment, if you would, just bow your heads, not for any reason other than you won't be distracted as the musicians make their way forward. So, and if you, uh, I'm the type of person, if I bow my head and close my eyes, I start thinking about squirrels and rabbits and stuff. So if you're that type of person, just look at the ground, if you would. So you can keep your eyes open if you want. I just don't want you distracted. I want you to think about this with your heads bowed. Maybe a vision for your year starts with surrendering to the Passover lamb, to the one that was slain for you. You see, because on this Passover night, when Jesus said what he said, it brought to an end the the commemorating of Passover and it began the Lord's Supper. You see, because the next day he would go to a cross. He would be the Passover lamb. His blood would be shed. And so maybe today you just need to surrender And stop being preoccupied with yourself and begin a relationship with the Lord. And if that's you, it can be as simple as a prayer. There's no special words or cadence that need to be said. It's just as simple as saying, God, I'm I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you forgive me and be the Lord and leader of my life? And if that's you today, if if you've made that decision, I want to encourage you to let us know you've made that decision because we'd love to walk alongside you. We'd love to tell you the next steps. We don't want it to be an emotional response. We want it to be something that, that begins a trajectory of what it looks like to learn to follow Jesus. For others of us in this room that have already surrendered our lives to Jesus, I want to challenge you as you consider a vision for your for your year. Maybe it starts with reprioritizing your life to be less preoccupied with yourself and to be more preoccupied with Jesus. To actually reprioritize your life. To maybe start your day. To say, listen, I'm going to start my day instead of turning to the phone, instead of turning to the television or whatever it is that you do initially or immediately that instead you look right at you version. Or you have your Bible on your nightstand. Or you just take a couple moments to just pray a prayer and say, God, would you lead me and direct me? Would you help me to be preoccupied with you and your truth? Maybe it means just starting your day with prayer. 
For others of us, maybe that's already part of the rhythm of your life and your day. And so today I want to challenge you if that's the case. Again, we never outpace the application of the text, so maybe it looks like a missional vision. Maybe it looks like saying, God, how can I be more missional? How can I be obsessed with making followers of Jesus? To be a disciple maker. Listen, if making followers of anything or anyone other than Jesus is what you're passionate about, then you're off mission. You're off mission. So let's live on mission. I want to challenge us to consider what it looks like to acknowledge that Jesus is within walking distance and be filled with vision for our one and only life. God has a plan for you and a purpose. I'm going to lead us in prayer and we're going to go into a response time that, uh, that involves communion because I think we'd be remiss to talk about the text that we just did and not take time to acknowledge what it is that Jesus did and to remember his sacrifice. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we, we repent, Lord. Would you search our hearts? Would you search our hearts to the areas that we've become so preoccupied with ourselves, our agendas, our plans, our thoughts, that we've actually missed out on the main thing. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you show us the areas of our lives that need to be reprioritized? We acknowledge today your sacrifice. We remember that which you did. And we ask that you help us to recenter our hearts and minds that we would have a preoccupation with your beauty, with your grace, that we would be carriers of grace and mercy, that we would be people of forgiveness and joy, that the fruit of the spirit would be evident in the way that we function because of the savior we serve, because of the proximity we have to you. We surrender to you, Lord. We worship and adore you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together. But before we do, if you, if you want to participate, maybe you weren't sure when you first came in, but there's these self-contained um, communion items that are out in the lobby. If you walked past it and you'd like one of these, you can feel free to just go back and grab one right now if you want, if you walked past it and didn't realize it. Um, if you are with us, uh, you can carefully open the top part here. I'll, uh, I'll instruct us when to, uh, to take this together. There is, it's a little bit tricky, so be cautious. The top part should be just the cellophane, so it relieves, kind of releases that wafer in case this is new to you. So plastic first and then prepare for the juice. Otherwise, you're going to spill it all over yourself and be like, <laughs> what have I done? We can help if that happens, so let us know. As we kind of prepare those emblems, we're remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on a cross. Verse 25, that will not be projected, says this, truly I say to you, this is what Jesus says, verse 25, the last verse of this text. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's a profound statement. You know why? He's talking about the fourth cup. Jesus is three cups in to the Seder meal and he's saying, you're gonna live your life between the third and the fourth cup. 
I am the sacrifice. I will be the sacrificial lamb. And together in eternity, we will take the fourth cup of the communion. And we will solidify what it is that I have done for you or what I will do for you in the days to follow. And we're going to continue in the text of Mark. But let's feel the weight of the reality that Jesus, his body was broken for you, for me. And his blood was shed. He would die the death that we deserve so that we could live in grace and on mission, increasing our proximity to him every day. So today, if you would just take that wafer. This is a symbol of our Lord's broken body. Let's take together the symbol of our Lord's broken body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you were broken for us. In the same way, that night he was betrayed, he took the cup, right? He said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Let's take together the symbol of our Lord's shed blood. thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your sacrifice that we can live in proximity to you, that we can have access to God because of what it is that you did. We're going to go into a time of worship and response through song. And as we do, um, someone will walk the aisles and if you'd like, they'll take the, the cup and you can throw it away. Let's worship together. Could you stand to your feet? I'd take the
Lord, in the name of Jesus. Would you do something new in us? Give us a vision for our year.
as our prayer. As we remember your sacrifice, remember your obedience. We're compelled by the beauty of it. We're compelled to obey. We're compelled to bring ourselves and just offer whatever we have, which isn't much, but we know in your hands it's something. We thank you, Jesus, that there's new freedom available when we're transformed by the gospel. You're always up to something. You're working in ways right now that we can't even see, but we trust you with that, God. We know that you have a plan for us as individuals and a plan for us as a church family at Centerway. So would you just open our eyes to see it? As we make this our prayer, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week, that you would just make us your vessel, that you would do something that we can never imagine beyond what we could ask or think. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, church, we always say there's lots of ways to worship. You know, singing is just one of them. And so uh, the worship is in your homes and in your classrooms and it's in your workplaces and on the sports fields. And so um, it's a beautiful time in God's presence together, worshiping through song. And you can um, listen to these songs all throughout the week if, you, if you'd like to. But we just want to encourage you to make every moment an act of worship to Jesus. And so would you just pray that he would give you a vision for your year and just see things in a way that you haven't seen them before. I want to encourage you to sign up for circles. They start this week online, in person, and students start next Sunday and all that good stuff. But um, we have resources on our website that you can go check out um, throughout the week. But I'm excited about circles and excited to see you right here uh, next Sunday at 3. Can you believe it? Two Sundays in a row. It's going to be amazing. Uh, That's a first for us for a long time. So anyway, uh, let's just pray as we close. God, we're so thankful for this time in your presence together. And we're also thankful for the going out and the time that we get to be salt and light in places and in our neighborhoods and in our homes and all sorts of ways, God. And so would you just go with us and watch over us uh, and help us to honor you in all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.